fourth chapter of Colossians. And really, I just want you to scan your eyes over verse 7. First of all, you'll notice a name, right? Tychicus, that's a name. Verse 9 has another name, Onesimus. Verse 10, you'll notice, has three names. Verse 11 is Justice. Verse 12, Epaphras. Verse 14, Luke and Demas. And of course, all of these names were very real people in a very real New Testament church, not unlike ours, including... I want you to notice a certain name that Paul left out, or at least he left it out until after he makes an admonition. Verse 16, he says, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. All right, so here's another name Paul mentions, and this time it's not as a greeting. This time it's not a salutation, it's not as a word of gratitude. This time it's an admonition that Paul gives to this man, and he waited to give it after he commands the reading and the sharing of today's epistle. In other words, look, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, finishes the book of Colossians. He then says that this book should not only be read to that church at Colossae, but also shared with the church at Laodicea, cause that it be read also in that church. And then, then Paul calls a man out by name, and what does he say in verse 17? Talk to Archippus. Tell him. Say to him these words. Archippus, verse 17, take heed to the ministry, which thou hast received... In the Lord, that thou fulfill it. In other words, folks, picture this. This book is being, this letter, this epistle is being read aloud at Colossae from, for the very first time. Lots of names, as we just saw, are noted. Lots of salutations. But it is after all of that and at the very end that Archippus is mentioned for all to hear. And unlike every other instance of a name, this time it's a charge. This time it is a command, take heed, Paul says, to Archippus. Be faithful. He says, finish the journey that God has put you on. It is this morning a powerful and poignant word to that man and to all of us here, given again against the backdrop of this amazing epistle from God. Let's pray. Shall we, Father, open our hearts again, please? Lord, everyone here today is here for a reason. May they not focus on the person beside them, in front, or behind them. Help us, Lord, to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit, what you have for us, for me, here in this place. Thank you for your, your word, eternal word, in Jesus' name. Amen. There are several lessons this morning here in the book of Colossians, which are especially noted in Paul's final counsel to this man named Archippus. This was a man, as we noted, who was given this charge, if you will, to take heed, that's sort of a warning, take heed to the ministry and finish whatever it was that God had called that man to do. The good news, beloved, is that Paul's admonition was given right after Colossians was effectively finished so that Archibus could rest assured that God had provided all that he would need, ever need, to do as Paul commanded, which brings us to the lessons. 
At least three things in the text. The first you'll notice, number one, is the sufficiency of Scripture. What does he say in verse 16? Look at it again. And when this epistle, this letter, is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. In other words, now follow this carefully. Cause that it be read. When this epistle is read among you, cause it also be read to the church at Laodicea. That's the word of the living God. Do me a favor. Look at chapter 1 for a moment, would you? Notice verse 5. Paul opens up this, this letter with the words, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth, of the gospel. We have a hope. It's laid up in heaven, but we don't know anything about that hope outside of this book. The Word of God, the hope of the gospel. Chapter 1, look at verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. We know what the faith is, the faith that was once delivered, and be not moved away from the hope, there it is again, of the gospel. Which ye have heard and which was preached. Look at verse 25. He says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Chapter 3, look at verse 16, please. Familiar text, it says, Let the word, the word of Christ, the word of God, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, folks, you get the idea. And you know this, if we were to go to every book in the New Testament, virtually every single one of them would include the same emphasis on the necessity and the sufficiency and the authority and the primacy of the inspired word of the living God. Paul never says... Make sure you read Aristotle in every church. All Plato is given by inspiration of God. The mythologies are quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. No, no, no. It is a reminder this morning. It's a reminder that in order for archipists or any of us to take heed and to fulfill and finish what God called this man to do, he had to have Colossians and every other book of the Bible. I recently read an interesting report on Jim Jones and his people's temple cult. Many of you know and will remember that mass cult, that cult ended in mass suicide in Guyana in 1978. Jim Jones was a Pentecostal preacher ordained in the Assemblies of God. He was endorsed by William Brannan early on and others. And of course, his church in San Francisco grew famous pretty quick for his social gospel influence. Over time, he convinced his congregation that in order to see more healings, more miracles, and more sign gifts, they needed to relocate. That They needed to leave California and go to their property in Guyana, which he called Jonestown after his own name. It wasn't long until Jonestown became a bastion of abuse, deceit, and apostasy. And it all ended in November of 1978 with the death of 918 people, 909 of them from drinking cyanide-laced flavor aid. 304 of those were children. 
The aftermath and the investigation included shocking videos and photos. Every day, all day, in the middle of the jungles of Guyana, Jim Jones preached to his devoted followers. The ghastly commune was inspected and examined for months by the FBI, by inspectors, South American officials as well. And you know, with all that they saw and all they recorded and cataloged, you know that in that church of almost a thousand people, they never found a single Bible there. No Bible? You see, slowly, gradually, Jim Jones replaced God's word with his own prophetic word and their own exalted visions. I'm reminded this morning of Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Note this, beloved. God's word is not optional equipment for a child of God in this world. God's word, the Bible, this book that we have here, is not something you can say, well, maybe, maybe not. Next month, next month. It is not negotiable. It is not replaceable. Which brings us to the second lesson in this text, in the whole book of Colossians. Number one, we mentioned the sufficiency of Scripture. Number two, you'll notice the supremacy of the Savior. Look at chapter two very quick, would you? Now remember, Archippus has just heard all of this. Verse 9 says, For in Jesus, in Christ, in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him, in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. That's a strong statement about our Lord. It says we're complete in Him. He's the head of all principality and all power. The supremacy of Christ, look back a little bit, chapter 1, look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in Jesus, in him, should all fullness dwell. Now, folks, follow this very carefully. In AD 62, when the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome for his allegiance to Christ over Caesar, he had gotten word that one of the churches that he started, this one here in Colossae, became infected with this strange heresy which tried to equate the glory of angels to that of Christ. It's written here. And this heresy had come in and, and someone was teaching that there were spiritual beings in existence that were on a par with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And of course when Paul heard this, the Holy Spirit inspired him to immediately set out and write this epistle to set some things straight. It includes the admonition to Archippus to fulfill the will of God, the one that God gave him, not some man-made doctrine. You know, Archippus is mentioned in another epistle by the Apostle Paul. It's in the book of Philemon, where Paul calls him, quote, Archippus, our fellow soldier 
So that apparently the two of them had fought some battles together. And you want to know why? Because the truth has enemies. Beginning with, anyone who ever tries to lower the Lord Jesus Christ down from his exalted position is an enemy of the cross. Chapter 1, verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, by Jesus, and for him. And he is before all things, before Abraham was, I am, before all things, and by him all things consist. You see what Paul's saying, right? Jesus is no angel. He's God. Never bring someone up to the the level of Christ. Never bring Christ down to the level of a man or any being. I have a half-life calendar on my phone. I don't know why. I I downloaded it a long time ago. Half-life is the length of time it takes for radioactive, radioactive atoms to decay, right? In other words, after seven half-lives, you have less than 1% of whatever the original radiation was. But that idea is used in in other applications as well. Some data has a certain, maybe a seven-year half-life and so on. For example, the FDA and all of their facts, what is the half-life on their data? Well, I can tell you this. In my brief experience on earth I've been given conflicting messages over and again on what's good and what's not good to eat in grade school I had to memorize and draw the food pyramid remember that everything that was at the bottom of my food pyramid when I was in grade school it's been flipped upside down literally everything what was true then According to the experts at the FDA and elsewhere, isn't true anymore. Sunlight. Sunlight used to be good, then it was really bad. And now that we have a generation of vampires, it's really good again. Take your kids outside. Right? It's like hand sanitizer. We're told now that we're doing harm. We kill too many germs. Chocolate. Used to be bad. Now I'm told it's a superfood. It's always been a superfood for me, amen? (laughs) Superfoods. Whatever happened? To that blue-green algae that was the panacea, that seaweed, it was. And then wheatgrass came along, and then those goji berries, agave nectar, and chard. Now it's kava. Superbeets, coconut water, fish oil, ginger, hemp seeds, green tea, pomegranate, fermented anything, whatever. (laughs) Kale, quinoa. I was standing in line in Publix the other day, and there was a magazine, and the headline said, Superfoods for 2023. I thought, 2023, shouldn't it be for all time? <laughs> Changes like this? Oh, Pastor, it's, it's bulletproof coffee, you know, mixed with butter. That's brain octane. And, of course, you have to use grass-fed butter. That original idea, you know, that came from yak, yak butter tea in Tibet because as every enlightened American knows anything from Tibet or the Amazon or high in the Alps some grain nobody can pronounce it's got to be good for you go out and buy it it's $100 an ounce and I don't care if you do if you that whole list you eat and drink all of it every day you'll be healthier than me I'm sure of it 
But it's dubious. It all changes, just like the FDA itself. It's hard to know what's true today. But I hold in my hand the Word of God. It doesn't have a seven-year half-life. It doesn't have a 700-year half-life. It is eternal, and it is immutable. And you know what, folks? As such, it is the only book. It is the only source of the truth about anything and everything that truly matters in this world, including about origins. We just read that it said in verse 16, By him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether we thrones. Wait a minute, Jesus created it all? It says that not only was Jesus there in the beginning, he made, created the beginning. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is the true Son of God. And his glory he will not share with another. And yes, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And you can mark it down, any minister, any ministry, any movement, any magistrate, anything that attempts to lower the person of Christ and present him as just a dude, as just a bro, as my bestie, just a miracle worker, or a spiritual guru. Any medium that portrays the Lord Jesus Christ as less than deity, run away from that. The Lord Jesus Christ is never relegated to anything other than King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In fact, never forget the attribution of chapter 3 and verse 4 when it comes to our lives in Jesus. Chapter 3 and verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life. You see that? Christ is our life. And do you know why Jesus Christ is our life if you're saved? Verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. In other words, Christ is our life. He was resurrected. He saved us. He gave us life. And today, He is exalted into glory, sitting on the very throne of God. We don't sing in this church. We don't sing about Jesus as if He's our boyfriend our bestie or our bro. We do sing about our Savior, our Redeemer, and God. The sufficiency of Scripture. The supremacy of the Savior. What do you listen to? Who are you listening to? Where do you get your information and your source on who Christ is in your life? To this book. If they speak not according to this testimony, there is no light in them. Number three, I want you to notice also the supply of the Spirit. Archippus, this is important for you. Chapter 1, look at verse 7. As you also learn of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Notice this capital S. It reminds me in verse 8 of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and the first one is love in this text. 
So that you see, beloved, Paul's not talking here about mere academic or some sort of intellectual assent to the Savior or to the Scripture. Oh, no, not at all. Paul is talking about a Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered life that looks like a living miracle. That's what God has called us to be. That's what Archippus was called to be. That's what we're supposed to run and finish all the days of our life. A living miracle, specifically a miracle of God's grace. In fact, have you ever noticed how Paul opens and then closes this letter? Look at chapter 1 and verse 2 in the, in the greeting. He says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ with her at Colossae. I've preached on that in the past. In Christ, but at Colossae. I love that. We are at Jupiter, but we're in Christ. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ with their acknowledgement. Here it is. Grace be unto you. In other words, that's grace to you. That is grace to you. But now, look at the last thing he says. Chapter 4, verse 18. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Here it is. Grace be with you. In other words, first, it is grace to you by his word and by his promise and now it is grace with you everywhere you go with you to work tomorrow with you at school with you at home or as you travel in other words archippus take heed take heed to what you have received from the lord fulfill it because you can and so can you beloved we have the sufficiency of scripture We have the supremacy of our Savior. We have the supply of the Spirit. So that as we read earlier a moment ago, we really are complete. We are complete in Him and this book. Put it this way. When Paul wrote this letter to Colossae, you understand that as was usual for him, he dictated it. God gave him the words, he spoke the words, and whoever his amanuses was, in this case it was Timothy and Epaphras, they would write down what he wrote. However, and that happens here, when he gets to the end of this book, he takes the pen himself from Timothy, and he himself wrote the very last verse. Pastor, why why didn't he write all of it? You're going to see why in a minute. Some say it was his eyesight, but it's really more than just that. Look at the very last verse. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. That means I'm writing it myself this time. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. In other words, with the hand of Paul chained to a Roman guard, a Roman soldier, God's servant writes about God's grace. He's chained. He's writing about God's sufficient grace in the midst of the worst possible circumstances. Literally, his chains and the sound of them are giving testimony as he wrote about God's grace so that you see, folks, all of these admonitions by Paul to finish, all of these admonitions to fulfill the word of God in your lives, to sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord earlier in chapter 2 and 3, to trust the Word of God completely and to have joy 
to hope in the promises of his truth, all of that, every bit of that is real and effectual and honest and true. He believes it with conviction. He's writing it while he's chained to a guard in a prison. And it's true, not only for Paul, but now for all of us. This is no mere tradition that we're doing here today. Maybe for some of you, but not for me. This is Christ's church. This is his word. Right here, he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. His spirit is in our midst. And I want to say it again. You have a Bible? You have enough. People talk about the intellectual elite, secret societies, you know, and think tanks. I'm going to tell you something. If you have Jesus, if you're saved, you have Christ, you have the mind of Christ. That means you know the truth. Paul says, we know all things. He doesn't say, I'm going to know it all. He says, we know all things. What does he mean? Everything that's important. You've been enlightened by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, you know what? For those of you who are not saved or maybe just got saved, understand this. Jesus is not just a starting point. You know, you get Christ and then there's something out there that you need to add to him. There's some other philosopher or ism or idol. No, no. Human philosophy adds nothing to Christ and his word. Following Jesus is not addition. You get him and get more. Following Jesus is approbation. You get more and more and more knowledge of just him. It is taking heed to what you've received and fulfilling it. Archippus, take heed to what you've, you've received. Now fulfill it. The word of God is sufficient. The Son of God is supreme. The Spirit of God supplies all we need. And if you belong to Him on this Lord's Day morning, you don't need some folly, the folly of some of those people at Colossae, you know, who just sought for angelic blessing. You understand what they're doing. Jesus wasn't enough for them. So let me get involved in angelology. Let me figure out if there's some angels around the corner. You don't need the paranormal, the mystical, the visions, extra-biblical revelation. You are complete in Christ. It's one of the primary New Testament Bible doctrines of God. You are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the joy, all of the truth, all of the purpose, all of the strength, all of the wisdom, all of the hope with power, and all of the power and grace you will ever need is already yours in the Word of God, the Son of God, and the Spirit of God. And if you're seeking more, not only will you not find it, your message is that Christ is not alone, us alone is not sufficient. That His Word is not sufficient. All of this is yours in the Son of God, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God, so that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Say to Archippus, I'm finished writing all the admonitions and the commands in Colossians, but the Holy Spirit has me put this down. Say to Archippus, take heed to what you have in the Lord. And just finish. 
and make sure, make sure that this book is read in Laodicea. Think about that for a moment. What did Jesus say about the church of Laodicea a few decades later? They're lukewarm. They too went after something else, in their case, money. You know, some people wonder how 900 people can be deceived literally to death and can be, can be deceived by someone as weird and wacky and wicked as Jim Jones or David Miscavige of Scientology or David Koresh who led people to their deaths, a fiery death in Waco or Joseph Smith or honestly even a Bill Johnson or a Father Divine. How in the world can that happen? I can tell you how, and it's rather simple. For some people, Jesus is not enough, his word is not enough, and his provision is not enough. And nothing is more wacky and deceitful than thinking that Jesus is not sufficient or supreme. Here's the real lyric for believers who sing about their Savior. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I just wonder this morning, as a child, if you're a Christian here today, as a child of the living God, has the devil been deceiving you, tempting you, pulling you away from the sufficiency of this book, from the supremacy of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from the supply of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, Paul could have sat in that prison and said, I don't understand, this isn't good. This isn't fun. There's no prosperity in here. My health is fading. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm chained I'm destined for execution. He could have sat in there and said, there's got to be more. He didn't say it at all. Later, as you know, he would say, I'm ready. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready. And he was. He did exactly what he told Archippus to do. He fulfilled the will of God through the word of God in his life. How many of this room want to do the same thing? Amen. I raise my hand. I want to fulfill the will of God through the word of God in my life. Well, you know how to do it. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I'm going to tell you what the Lord, what this country needs, what our city needs, what your home needs, what your children need, your grandchildren. They need Christians who finish, who don't quit who don't go out because they, they want something more, which is not more, who want a substitute. This church, this country, this city, this town, your, your family, your neighbors, what they need is a child of the living God who finishes their race, who keeps their eyes upon Jesus the prize. Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today and I'm a Christian. I'm saved by his grace, but I needed this reminder. 
I needed the word of God today. This portion of the word of God, God has spoken to my heart as a child of God. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building and I raise mine and amen and amen. Look, I don't know why Paul and the Holy Spirit called Archippus out by name. It might have seemed awkward in that church. I don't know if he was slipping. I've heard preachers say that, but we don't know that. I don't maybe maybe he was a little discouraged. Maybe in that church where they were talking about angels being so amazing, he was starting to wonder, well, maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. But I'm glad he called him out. And I'm glad because he called me out. And he calls all of us out. Be the real deal. Don't just go through the motions and the traditions. If Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, bow the knee. If he's not, why are you here? Bow the knee. Submit yourself afresh to his will. If you're here today and you're not sure that you're saved, you can be sure. Grace to you. It's the grace of God that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross, was buried and resurrected, shed his blood, but he was resurrected. He's alive. You just read it. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is alive and he is ready to save, has power to save. And maybe you're here today and you're not sure about that. You're not sure about your own salvation. Could we pray for you? I want to come to embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. Maybe at home watching. Pastor Blalock, that's me. I don't know for sure that I've accepted Christ. My sins are forgiven. But I want to know it. I need to know it. Who would say that? Would you lift your hand right where you are? We had a couple. Amen. Anyone else? Hold it up high till we see it. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not saved. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Anyone else? We're going to pray and have a time of invitation. And Brother Andy will be at the front if you need to speak with someone. If God has spoken to your heart about something, obey his voice, won't you? could be a public decision, joining the church, baptism, something like that. Just heed his voice. He's worthy. Jesus is worthy because when he shall appear, we're going to appear with him in glory, and that's forever. Forever. No more chains, Paul. No more bonds. Forever. Father, bless now the invitation. We commit it to you as always. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our Lord. Thank you for the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray we'll recognize that as a child of God, these things are all supreme and sufficient for your people. May we bow the knee in our hearts constantly. For these who have asked our prayer, draw them to you. Those who said, I'm not saved, many more who are surely not saved. Use us in your hand as a tool to help bring them to the gospel, to Jesus. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.